Um, it was a good place to stop because Lee actually does have a dentist appointment to get to. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was worried for you, Lee. <laughs> yeah, you know, I appreciate it. You got to take care of those teeth, man. That's right. <laughs> Before we get into the topic of getting shot into space, uh, don't forget to subscribe to Basically Related Podcast and leave a five-star review. You can find us on YouTube as well and subscribe there. Uh, remember to hit that notification bell so you'll know when we drop new content. Also, you can sign up for our monthly AMA episodes at basicallyrelated.com and ask a question at basicallyrelated.com forward slash AMA. We answer all your questions in a monthly episode delivered to members only. Um, so, Lee, you brought up a... Uh, an article about uh, from NPR about William Shatner getting lost <laughs> into space. getting shot into space. <laughs> no way! <laughs> what? Why are you laughing now? Oh my god! He has a dentist uh, appointment. Sorry, I have a dentist appointment. <laughs> I mean, this, we, does we it have should, to be? We should keep it. I was just going to keep going. Uh, yeah, let's just keep going. I'm just going to keep going. Um, yeah, I have nothing to say. So apparently. William Shatner was shot into space. <laughs> he has a, a, a dentist year- appointment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My God, he has a dentist appointment. <laughs> it's like that was. <laughs> My gosh, he has a dentist appointment. <laughs> um, this happened a year ago, apparently. But NPR just released an article. I think as William Shatner is coming out with a book. Um, but he went with uh, Jeff Bezos' Blue Origin. Um, to check out space. And he said it was a very emotional experience. He said he was you know, filled with grief and was crying, but didn't really know why. And it wasn't until uh, someone else, my Frank White, said he was experiencing the overview effect. And I guess Frank White also has a book by the same name uh, called The Overview Effect. But he said that this effect is a cognitive and emotional shift in a person's awareness their consciousness, and their identity when they see Earth from space. They're at a distance, and they're seeing Earth in the context of the universe. So apparently, the, um, Frank White works with astronauts and in interviews them when they come back uh, from space, and they all kind of report this same overview effect, that they are now seeing the world, humanity, life, the cosmos from a higher perspective, seeing it in, in its whole um, you know, I, I thought Shatner had an interesting contrast. He talked about seeing kind of the Earth and life emanating from this blue planet, and then right beyond it, though, it's just void. Yeah, right. You know, it's just like life, and then void, and that, that, that's 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 all there is. But it it did make me think of uh, Eliade's treatment of a kind of ascension motifs and the idea of going up to get a greater perspective. perspective. Yeah. I mean literally, you know when you when you go up onto a mountain, you see more, you see yeah, further, you yeah, have right. a different like literally a different perspective and that's what he says about um kind of uh, sky gods and the sky motif. And he said it doesn't really take much to think about why the sky is sacred. Mm. You know, why primitive religions thought that gods dwelt in the skies. Like if you look at look at it, it's above you. Yeah. It's expansive. It's essentially unexplored. I mean, you can't just go up there. Yeah. <laughs> um, he said, so it, it kind of reveals itself <clears throat> as something transcendent immediately. Um, but it, it seems like, it, it seems like Shatner had this experience of, of like transcending 
you know, kind of human limitation and looking down the world and saying what you think is real is unreal. Hmm. You know, like you're so caught up in your, your petty particular day to day. And I'm telling you that what is real is that we're all together. We're all tangled up as he said. Yeah. And uh, Frank White reports that, you know, astronauts have a great taste for a distaste for war hmm. and kind of see humanity as this connective connected group of interesting of people. That kind of reminds me of um, Terrence Malick's Tree of Life. Uh, if mm. you remember, it's, it's, it, in my estimation, that movie is kind of a visual representation of the Book of Job. But um, And yep. he says as much with the opening um, Bible verse um, that opens the movie. But remember when, if you recall in that movie, there's a couple that loses their son. Uh their 18 or 19 year old son in war. And after that, Terrence Malick uh, then shows us like 30 minutes of the cosmos and the universe and planets and stars. And it's this idea of like the particular suffering and then contextualizing that within the grand scale of the created order. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, that's uh, th- that kind of gets to the uh, definition of wisdom as well, right? Wisdom seeing yeah. a particular thing in the context of the whole, mm-hmm. uh, and mm. so this whole idea that William Shatner was, uh, you know, uh, saw life differently and he was grieved, and uh, you know, the astronauts, um, you know, uh, have a distaste for war and all this. It, I think it's touching on that idea of just seeing reality in the widest perspective possible. Right, um, and, and that's touching on this idea of wisdom, touching on the Terrence Malick's tree of life, touching on uh, suffering, right? And, um, God's answer to Job in the Book of Job. So, um, I think it's a really fascinating phenomena. Um, so, yeah, um, I w- I'm listening right now through uh, John Verveke's what is it, the Meaning Crisis? Um, yeah, I think that's right, and he was talking about the shaman and how they would be like the leaders of their tribes um, and how we have this language that, that is kind of indicative of this top view perspective, giving kind of more of a wisdom kind of, you know, having wisdom being this top view um, in that, like, even when we'd say like the shaman would get high, you know, like that it's, it's this kind of language of, Saying there's this type of oversight of seeing things in the context, um, I just I really think it's fascinating that um, William Shatner, you know, goes to space and then is like, you know, we we all need to have a different perspective. And then you have on the other hand, like someone like Joe Rogan, who's like, everybody needs to take shrooms in order to have a different perspective. And they're they're all kind of alluding to this getting high kind of sense of going up to the heavens and kind of seeing things from a different point of view that contextualizes everything um, and gives you kind of an, a better understanding of life as a whole. Right. Because revelations happen on the heights, like above. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mount Sinai. Or, uh, yeah. Or it, climbing the mountain. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. You know, from the Old Testament to the New Testament to, you know, St. John on the Cross, ascent of Mount Carmel. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's going up and then seeing something, having a union, realizing that what you think is normal is not normal mm-hmm. and then yeah. coming down with that revelation, mm. you know, it's sort of William Shatner's, I mean, I don't, I don't know what he thought about 
earth and war and such before, but clearly he went up, saw something, had a revelation, and came back down and says, no, no, this is actually how things are. Like, yeah. I've seen, yeah, as, as you said, Father, I've seen life in context now. I've seen the whole in context. Yeah. And what what we think is normal is not normal. Yeah. Mm. What we think is real is, is unreal. You, you actually, actually you, you see that in Letter to the Hebrews, even when he talks about um, Christ um, entered into the temple not made of human hands. Mm. And there's a little bit of Platonic sort of real and unreal mm. um, that the temple on earth is a shadow and a copy of the real one in heaven. Hmm. Yeah. So there's there's this right. there's this sort of unreal on earth, real in the heavens. Yeah. And only people who have been up to the heavens, in whatever way you want to interpret that, yeah, have experienced true reality. Hmm. Yeah. I think that's the conviction of these astronauts. Is yep. I, I've seen reality. I've seen what's real. Yeah, that's um, really interesting. I know one of the readings for um, uh, Easter Sunday. I think it's Mass during the day. The second reading, one of the options is um, from St. Paul, uh, and he says, seek what is above, not of what is on earth. Right. And the, I, I think that's a, a really good pairing to uh, the, the solemnity of Easter, where death, when you experience death, it can seem like that defines your, your entire existence or that in, defines your world for you. And, and death, you know, and also in connection with suffering. If if you're so wrapped up in that experience, you can lose faith. You can have kind of a Job moment where you're like, why am I suffering, right? Mm-hmm. But when Christ defeats death, you know, he rises from the dead, he gives life an entirely new perspective. Um, and even if we experience a death in our, um, in our own lives and suffering in our own lives, we look forward to to the resurrection of the dead. We look forward to the victory that Christ won on Easter Sunday. Mm-hmm. We, in other words, we have this wisdom that we're able to put our particular experience in the context of a greater whole, seeing the end, right, the future towards which we're moving. And then we can say with St. Paul, seek what is above, right? <laughs> um, gain that higher perspective and, not mm-hmm. of, not, and, and don't focus on what is on earth, and earth being symbolic of your particular um, experience, right? Mm-hmm. Your particular, uh, your particular circumstance that seems like it's defining your reality, yeah. but in fact, uh, it's too narrow of a, um, a too narrow of a worldview. Which is why I think the opposite of uh, wisdom would be obviously foolishness, mm-hmm. which would, I think, you could define it as uh, a limited perspective. You know, you're not seeing the whole. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. The question though becomes like. Should we just shoot everybody up into space? <laughs> or, you know, like Joe Rogan said, like, should we just like have everybody get high so we can have a better point of view? And is that going to lead to a better understanding? Or is there a little bit of a, like a flight from reality that's going on there? <clears throat> yeah. Because that's one thing that was mentioned in the article was astronauts report uh, the difference between intellectual knowledge and experiential knowledge. Mm. So basically, you know, you, you kind of, this wasn't said, but I, I wonder if it was kind of there under the surface of, you know, you think you understand that we're all connected, we're all one, but until you experience the vision, you don't know that. But yeah, I, it, it, but you know, Jung talks a little about this, you know, in terms of um, self-knowledge 
and particularly self-knowledge about the shadow is, you know, you realize that just as you carry this thing with you, you're a flawed human, human being, you have all these problems. Well, so does your neighbor, mm. especially when you withdraw your projections on other people and think about your own interior life, mm. you realize I'm just like my neighbor. I am also the least of my brethren. Right. And so what I would want done to me, I should do to them mm-hmm. as well. Um, this is, yeah. you know, how is it uh, that, you know, some of these saints sometimes are considered very disconnected, you know, Teresa of Avila, John of the Cross, you know, they're mystics, mm-hmm. they're totally detached from human life, they're aloof, but actually when you read them, they're great psychologists, mm. they're great observers of human nature because yeah. of two things, I think. One, their own self-knowledge about themselves. Mm-hmm. It's like when you learn about yourself, you learn about Human nature. Human nature. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, if I'm like this, I bet you're like this. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, great observers of human nature, but also, and I think the common idea is, you know, if you grow closer to God, you move away from the world and you begin to hate the world. It's like, well, actually, I think you become more human and you actually get a greater perspective on human life. Yeah. As you get closer to God. Right. Not, yeah. Not a diminishment of human yeah. life. Peterson uh, has like said kind of spokenly like spoken about um speaking about psychedelics and stuff such i think it was it was it a Jung quote where he said like be careful um with unearned wisdom yep Hmm. yep um it is interesting because i mean back to what verveki was saying about the shamans how they would not just kind of induce this high from a drug but there was this kind of uh, that, like you, you know, the classic idea of a shaman, you would see them like dancing and singing and like, you know, beating drums. And they're, what they're doing is they're like participating in a pattern. Yeah. And they're embodying something. It has to be ritualized. Correct. Yeah. And then they can transcend that. Right. So there's, it's not like you can just hand out these things or just put everybody up in space. Um, you lose the, the completion of it and like the, the aspect that you like both participate and then transcend. Um, that gives you that type of wisdom that is the true wisdom as opposed right. to just kind of like, here's a top-down perspective and then you can draw conclusions like, you know, we need to stop global warming or whatever. Right. You know? <laughs> well, yeah. And I, I mean, I wonder how fast um, that overview effect fades because, I mean, by nature, humans are forgetful. Um, and there's a sense that I'm just, you know, I'm speculating here, but, you know, you get shot up into space, you see the world, you come back down. Wow, life-changing experience. Will that will that actually give you like the fuel to live your life differently f- forever? I yeah. don't know. I think um, the answer would be no. Particularly because even in even in the scriptures like, you know, the three apostles go up and see the transfiguration and come back down and then deny him. Yeah, right. You know, well, like, right, and right. I think and yeah, Exodus yeah. is you know the same thing. It's like yeah. you just left Egypt, mm-hmm. and you saw you know, the sea split in two. And you, yeah, you and, see all these yeah. things. I mean, that's a, yeah. to me that's that's one of the one of the main lessons of that story is mm-hmm. well, the reason why they forgot God is because you forget God. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, and it's very easy mm-hmm. to forget God. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so, you know, uh, that's why I think the answer is not to shoot everyone up into space. It's mm-hmm. not to get high on mushrooms, but it's actually finding that perspective in your everyday life. Yeah. Like, can you imagine if you have that wider perspective, that overview effect, 
in loving your family, mm-hmm. you know, or, or just um, doing good to others, you know, becoming a virtuous person yourself, where the mundane is actually little mountains on which you can ascend right. and gain that perspective. And that's yeah. the goal of the Christian life, is to mm-hmm. see everything incarnational, right? Mm-hmm. And, and Peterson has that great quote where he says, like, in a transcendent world, everything has meaning. Mm-hmm. And so even making your bed in the morning could be a moment of transcendence. Yeah. If you realize the order in which you're participating in, right. uh, you ritualize your life. And then ultimately, like that's culminated from a Catholic perspective at Mass. Every time you go to Mass, all those things come into full, like into focus, mm-hmm. and you're actually able to gain that mountaintop view at the Mass. Yeah, and that, so. it really is like, you know, okay, we can't all go to space. Sucks. But... But so the only thing we're kind of left to is like we're here. So what is above that can tell us what its perspective is? And that's where you still have that image of like things above, like the patterns in heaven. Um, even the idea of the sun shedding light to our reality below is like, mm-hmm. you know, Plato's cave of coming out of the cave and seeing the light, seeing the sun. Um, we even have that in our language of like, well, making your bed in light of. Right. X, yeah, you know, right. whatever. Like you're you're alluding yeah. to a language that's telling you that there are things above that shed light yeah. on your reality. Um, yeah. So it's like, yeah, we can't all. Sometimes we can't transcend physically, but what we can do is look above to that which gives lights to give light below. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, not to to discredit anything that Shatner experienced, because I'm sure if I went to space, oh yeah. I, mean, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I might cry too. Sure. I'm mean, sure yeah. it's it's a crazy experience. Yeah. And I think his conclusion was correct. Is you know, wow, we all are on the same planet. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. And, you know, we really should take care of each other. War is absolutely ridiculous. Um but there's still this kind of unspoken underlying ethic because he had this experience, right? He's like, Oh wow, look at the planet. We're all in this together. We should take care, we should take mm-hmm. care of each other. It's like, well, you you just jump to a moral claim. Yeah, right. Mm, interesting. Yeah, you know, right, you, right. you know, you just looked at the planet and said, "Wow, we should be moral to each other." It's like, well, why? Right. Yeah, yeah. Why? And, and and I agree, though. I think we should. Mm-hmm. But there's clearly like this underlying moral ethic that he's tapping into. That it's like, well, did I need to go to space to believe that? Right. Because mm. I yeah. already believe that. Right. I already think war yeah. is absolutely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like. Can you go to Calcutta, right, and have the same experience? Yeah. You know, can you go to your local soup kitchen, whatever, mm-hmm. and have that experience? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You said, can you go to Mass and have that experience? Right. They said, not yeah. everyone can go to space, but I think there are other ways we can tap into this this perspective that sheds light on everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's yeah. possible. Uh, yeah. Um, that is really that's an interesting point that that. Uh, going to space, having that overview effect, evokes a moral response, too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like in the face of um, in the face of beauty, I guess you can say, um, there is a there is something calling you out to live a certain way, right? Yeah, exactly, um, exactly. It wasn't just like, wow, this is a really beautiful planet. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do anything. Yeah, right? and that yeah. was right. it. It was like, oh, it was a great experience. That's so interesting. Right. That's a natural response, is that I should live a certain way in light of what I'm yeah, seeing. Yeah, right, right, exactly. <laughs> that's, and there's that's a lot to... There's a lot to that experiential truth, but then it's like, all right, so you come down from space, you got to convince these people that we should be nice to each other under what, like on what grounds? Exactly. Yeah. Um, even the language, what grounds? Um, <laughs> you know, like what, like where is it going to be embodied? Yeah. And so like you, then you engage in intellectual debate and like you're back to where we started of like, now <laughs> yeah, we're right. talking about this on a rational level and right. you know, there is a lot of truth to the experiential 
uh, knowledge. Um, and so that's definitely shouldn't be disregarded, but it's definitely, it has to be a combination of both or else you end up with the same thing that non-religious people critique of religion of like the elite will tell you what to do because they have special privileges and you right. just shut up and listen. Yeah. It's like, well, that guy went to space. I don't yeah. know what that's like. He said we should be nice. I should probably listen to that. So yeah. right. Yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah. Right. Cause right. I mean, it is possible to have the experience of going up to space. Well, you know, maybe going up to space and seeing the earth and saying, Wow, th- we're just on this rock. Yeah, I'm gonna get mine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, you, you exactly. know, like and come back down and be like, I'm. This is all. We're just those rocks spinning in a void, absolutely meaningless. There could be no one else. There's no one out there listening to us. There's no other life. Yeah, I'm gonna get mine in this life. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a certain structure, right? Who's to say that that's wrong? Yeah, yeah. yeah what are the that's odds that like, you put a billion people up there and you know? Like, what, I wonder what the distribution would be of, like, how many people would end up like that yeah. versus... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would like to think that a vast majority of people would not have that response. Yeah. But I, I think it, you know, when the Hubble telescope pictures mm-hmm. came out, there was a few people that said, yeah. look how mass, massive the universe is, but we're nothing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're, yeah, we're, yeah. We're, li- we're not even a speck of dust in the universe. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and I, I honestly think that more people than we would like to admit would actually have that response, that nihilistic... Um, uh, atheistic response, mm. I think, um, because not everyone is trained to see, to to experience beauty correctly. Um, you can desensitize yourself, and you know, in the face of beauty, feel nothing. Yeah, and so I think that that would be maybe that speaks more to the way that culture conditions us, and and again desensitizes us. Um, but I would also hope that you know, something magnificently beautiful can pierce through that as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of seeing things beautifully, um, Father, you had a, uh, you had a note in our notes about um, something you were coming across. Was it um, during a homily about yeah. Beatrice and Dante? Yeah. So I was reading in preparation for um, last Sunday's homily. Uh, I was reminded of a scene from uh, uh, Dante's purgatory and uh, specifically in the figure of Beatrice, when Dante meets Beatrice for the first time in the purgatory, she has some harsh words <laughs> that she wants to share with Dante. And this is actually characteristic of Beatrice uh, throughout the end of the purgatory and in the paradise, where her words are not extremely uh, uh, kind. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she comes off as moralizing sometimes she comes off as uh harsh and and dante is always fearful of what she has to say and what hit me was this idea that beatrice stands simultaneously as the ideal for dante he she is like the paradigm of beauty but at the the same time she's also the judge of his life Mm. and so there was a particular uh I want to read this quote in full because this is one of my favorite quotes from Beatrice in the entire Divine Comedy. Uh, And this is emblematic of her being uh, standing in place of the judge or as a a judgment figure Mm -hmm. uh, for Dante. And so this comes from um, Purgatory Canto 31. So she says, In your journey of desire for me, leading you toward that good beyond which naught exists, to which a man's heart may aspire. What pitfalls did you find? What chains stretched out across your path? 
that you felt you were forced to abandon every hope of going on? And what appealed to you? What did you find so promising in all those other things that made you feel obliged to spend your time in courting them? I think that is such a a, a great quote to show Dante's uh, understanding of who Beatrice is mm-hmm. and how she can, at the same time, stand as a figure of beauty and as um, a judge. Uh, or in Petersonian terms, to stand as the ideal and the judge, yeah, or the right. savior and the judge. Uh-huh. And this is what struck me for, for the first time this week. Um, I never made this connection. I always knew that Beatrice was a, um, a, a harsh um, critic of Dante's life in the Divine Comedy. But I never made this connection of her being, um, at the same time, a savior and a judge, mm. uh, and how it connected to um, Peterson's idea that Christ is also a image of the savior and, at the same time, a judge. Right. Now, those concepts are not mutually exclusive, mm-hmm. but they're just two sides of the same coin. Yep. Um, and so to say, it, to put it simply, to say that we need saving from something, uh, that we need a savior, implicitly implies that we need to be saved from something, right? right? That we, we are yeah. not where we should be. Mm-hmm. And so that in itself is a judgment on, on our character. Yeah. To admit we need a savior is to admit that we are not where we ought to be. Yep. And that's a moral judgment. And so for Dante, in looking at Beatrice, in, in um, uh, uh, being in awe of the figure of Beatrice, he is, all his faults are on full display. Because he's like, that's where, that's beauty itself, mm-hmm. right? That's the, the good, again, as, as Beatrice says, that good beyond which naught exists to, to, to which a man's heart may aspire. And he recognizes how far he is from that ideal, yeah. And so I think it's it just a, it's a great poetic instinct to have Beatrice speaking to him in these judgmental terms, mm-hmm. because her very figure, without even speaking, is a judgment on his character. Yeah, um, I think that's how. I mean, the image of the woman in general across cultures is that women are the judge of man. You know, like mm-hmm. on, on a biological sense, you have the men who compete, and then sexual selection is dictated by the woman. Of right. like who will yeah. pass on the genes, and so even on a natural level, that's where that ideal becomes the judge. Um, yeah, that's really interesting because I mean it even works out psychologically, not in a uh, masculine feminine sense, and just like your own ideals mm-hmm. and your own like goals. Like as soon as you set a goal, you inherently are admitting to where you are in relationship to that goal. Yeah, exactly. And so that's why you see people who like, you know, just tear people down because they don't want anybody to stand as a judgment to them. Mm -hmm. But it's like, it's not, I'm like, I'm not judging you or I'm like the feeling that you're being judged is exactly what you were saying. It's, it's just because there's a separation and your perspective is that like, well, I'm here and you're up there. And therefore that necessity, that necessarily means that I'm not where I should be. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I was also thinking of uh, when Paul, in the movie, Dune, um, when Paul Atreides meets, is it Shani? Yeah. Shani? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Shani. yeah. Shani. Um, he immediately, this is the whole like love at first sight thing, anima, animas. Mm-hmm. Um, he immediately is like, oh, you're the girl from my dreams. Mm. You're the girl that uh, I've, I've been seeing. And he's convinced of her. You know, this is why, you know, men love yeah. it. For, you uh-huh. know, men fall in love at first sight more. It's just they, they, mm-hmm. they're taken. But 
she's not so sure about him. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's like, you're the right. one. And she says, I, I've heard that you're the Messiah. Maybe you are. Maybe yeah. you're not. I bet you're going to die. <laughs> yeah. like, like you're, you're kind of nothing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're just a boy. And it's not until he wins that she's like, maybe. Yeah. Maybe now. Like, you know, like I'm a little bit more convinced that you maybe you're the one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because he had to prove himself first. She was a little bit more kind of right. stand back. Of, right. We'll see who wins. And um, yeah, that she was kind of judging him, whereas he was taken. She was judging. Right. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and in that first Dune movie, she is she's not very active. But I think that that's a good um, yeah, but like portrayal draw, of yeah, women. But, right? but like drawing of, him on. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. Like, uh, of the, the woman archetype mm-hmm. is that um, just by her presence, she's able to call him out and uh, ascend right further uh, up to where he should be, right? Um, to, to claim that title of Messiah. Um, that's a very Dante Beatrice um, mm-hmm. motif yeah. going on there. Um, but so in also connection to that, um, in addition, uh, in Bishop Barron's interview, I'm sorry, Peter's Peterson's first interview with Bishop Barron, which mm-hmm. was a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago, uh, Peterson offers a critique to the Catholic Church. Uh, you know, he, he says, like, "Can I just be so bold and, and critique the Church?" And uh, Barron lets him. And Peterson says, "The Church is not harsh enough on its members." Mm. And I think he's exactly right. I think that's an extremely valid critique. Because if the church is is uh, the vehicle by which people are saved, <laughs> um, you know, the church's mission is to save souls, uh, then they need to be, again, going back to the idea of the Savior and the judge, they need to be that, uh, that symbol to which men can aspire to, right? right. Uh, if the church is saying, like, look, we hold God himself, right? At, at the Mass, you can encounter God himself, then you can't just say like then everyone just come and mm-hmm. just you know come as you are mm-hmm. uh and um there has to be, there doesn't have to be any repentance there doesn't have to be any uh everyone could just be the same and um grab grasp right. god right it's like well well how attractive is that like you know what is what is the good there right mm-hmm. the good should be um so brilliant before us that we we feel like we're unworthy and we should strive to become better, <laughs> you know, to live up to that standard yeah. of the good. Um, yeah, I so. think it's important how Dante talks about Beatrice because at the end of the day, he's still pursuing her, you know, from a from a place of desire. And so seeing that savior and judge dynamic really depends on your perspective. Like this is that whole like chaos order thing is like it's really from your perspective, like that which you find detestable it's going to look like chaos to you and a judge. So if, if you're not properly oriented, then what the church holds as ideal is going to feel like a judgment on you, and that's why you're uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But there's a, a place where you can align yourself where that now flows within you and you see it as pure desire. Yeah. You know, obviously, we're all broken, but, you know, insofar as we can, we, we align ourselves with, you know, the way, the way that the church has told us to live and then that sheds light on our reality, and then that, and then we just see it more and more as desire instead of judge. Yeah, right. And, and that's why it's not until uh, Dante's passions are completely ordered, yep. right, when he's perfectly purified at the end of the mm-hmm. purgatory, 
that's when he's allowed to see and speak to Beatrice. Yeah, right. Um, because it was never, while you know, her figure was judging him to become a, a better man. Um, like you said, it was always a desire for her mm-hmm. um, that led her that led him to ultimately not only Beatrice but God Himself in the in the paradise. Uh, so, but yeah, it was ultimately uh, um, his desires and passions that mm-hmm. were that needed to be not negated, but yep. in order, yep. um, under control, so that he could desire the right thing. And that's when he's allowed to see Beatrice, and then eventually God. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I was thinking about why. Why does the savior get to be the judge? Um, like, I mean, and there's <laughs> there's a lot of answers, I suppose, to that. But I was thinking that the the savior is the archetypal hero who has run the course. Mm-hmm. You know, he's entered the land of trials. He's been he's successfully overcome the trials. He's experienced the height mm-hmm. of what you know, whatever that sacred union is, the sacred mm-hmm. marriage, apotheosis, uh, the the elixir of life, whatever that is, and he has come back. To deliver that, right? So, in a sense, the the savior saying, "I can judge because I have I have seen," mm. in a way, like I, mm. I've 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 run the entire gamut in the entire course, mm-hmm. yeah. And so now, follow after me, essentially. And to the degree to which you do or do not follow, will be your judgment. Yes, right. Um, again, letter to the Hebrews, uh, Christ is the you know originator of faith. He says, yeah, um, in it, but that word is archegos, mm. which is um, basically the the forerunner, the the one who goes before before, and it doesn't happen. The word doesn't appear much in the New Testament, but it does appear in extra biblical let- literature, mm-hmm. particularly you know those who found cities and um, some Greek hero myths mm. about the one who basically cuts through the thicket. That's interesting, and you follow after him, mm-hmm. right? So. The savior is that hero who has run the course again, and is now looking back in, in a sense to see mm-hmm. how faithful right. are you who follows. Right. That's my yeah. that's my stab at it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's good. That actually ties yeah. into like you know getting shot up into space. Um, in that like, if we don't have like we 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 put up the savior to tell us what to do, right? To like to to reveal life right. to mm-hmm. us, um, and so. It's the same thing of like somebody who went before, somebody who went up yeah. and has that top-down perspective and then now can inform us and how we should be in formation with that. Um, right. And then your unwillingness to do that is this type of judgment. You know, it's like, well, I, we can't do that because then it'll reveal itself. Like, it'll reveal life to me and I, I'm not in a good spot and that's bad. Right. And, you know, I feel like distressed from that or whatever. Um, so yeah, that, that is really interesting and in how that, that savior goes ahead and then turns around right right and then you know it i think i think beatrice can fit that idea in, um in a way in that dante saw her as perfection itself like she is perfect beauty she is um all that is good and true wrapped up in this singular figure and and my and he who is not perfect in beauty um, needs to follow that path towards perfection right. and goodness. Right. So, uh, well, she certainly has gone before him in that she is now in heaven. Right, she's blessed. Yeah, and yeah. is saying in the quote that you read, like, look at all these ways in which you did not follow in this path. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Upwards. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I'm I'm gonna judge you for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Um, 
like all those all those times that you um did not chase after me what was so attractive in that way um and and that's where that judgment takes shape so yeah that's yeah good stuff um there's a good place to stop because lee actually does have a dentist appointment to get to yeah <laughs> um i was worried for you Lee. <laughs> yeah you know i appreciate it you, know, you gotta take care of those teeth man <laughs> that's right it's uh basically related.com to sign up for our monthly ama um i'm matt Hylam on all social media and lee's coach lee we'll see y'all later